Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. It's a very grey and drizzly morning out there, but I have just come back from the 40-foot We took a mad notion to drive out there in the rain at 6.30am, the four of us, my partner and my two little girls. And even though only one of us actually got in for a swim and it wasn't me, I have to say it was a brilliant adventure and I'm going to do it again. And next time I will get in, I swear. And any listeners who have caught the swimming bug during this pandemic, I take my hat off to you. I can see the appeal, even though I only got in up to my um, knees. And it's something I'm definitely going to do more often. I feel more alive, even just for being out there by the sea that early in the morning. So I will be getting in the next time. Definitely, I swear. And I've said it on the podcast now, so it has to happen. Later on in a moment, um, we're going to be hearing from former Irish politician Gemma Hussey, who tells Cathy Sheridan about a lot of things, including some of the sexism that she had to deal with in her political career. The only thing is on the first day, you know, one of the cabinet members and the senior member was Peter Barry of tea fame. And um, at one stage, every morning before you go into the cabinet meeting, there was a side room with a tea making thing on it. And um, it became clear to me that they expected me to make the tea. And, uh, I certainly wasn't that interested in that. And uh, I said, well, we have one person here who knows about tea, and that's Peter Barry. <laughs> Couldn't he make the tea? So luckily, they generally laughed. And from then on, whoever was first in made the tea. But before we get to that, a reminder that we are celebrating our 500th episode of the Women's Podcast on Thursday, May 6th, with a brilliant evening of storytelling. It's going to be called Older and Bolder. And it will feature women such as Angela Scanlon, Olivia O'Leary, Rosaline McDonough and Yara Alaher telling stories about growing older and bolder. We're delighted to be 500. It's very exciting. Now, if you got a ticket for the event, we'll see you there. But if you didn't get a ticket, you can still watch it on Thursday at 7pm on Facebook Live. So do join us and help us celebrate 500 episodes. It's going to be a very special evening. Now, in 1982, Gemma Hussey became Ireland's first female minister for education, and it was a very big deal at the time. She was appointed by Taoiseach Garrett Fitzgerald after winning a seat for Fine Gael in Wicklow. And her appointment caused, she says, a bit of culture shock among several of her male fellow ministers. A liberal feminist all her life, Hussey was co-founder of the Women's Political Association and after she retired from politics in 1989, she wrote a book based on her cabinet diaries at the cutting edge. It was hailed as the most thorough and realistic account of life inside cabinet in Ireland and caused quite a stir. In today's episode, Hussey looks back at her political career with Cathy Sheridan, recalling what it was like to be the only woman in cabinet and some of the shocking sexism she had to deal with, including former Taoiseach Charlie Hoy snapping her bra strap. Um, And she talks about the ferocity of the 1983 campaign to insert the Eighth Amendment into the Constitution. And they also discussed the pandemic, the loss of her husband Derry last Christmas, women in politics today and loads more. Here she is, Gemma Hussey, in conversation with Cathy Sheridan. Gemma, you gave an interview to Simon Carswell where you said you were feeling pretty down before the vaccine, but you're delighted to have got it. Tell us, have you got the second dose now and how is it going? I've got the second dose and it's going grand. And of course, I was a bit down because my husband died and uh, he was ill for some time with Parkinson's. And um, and so he died two days before Christmas. And, you know, between the COVID and, and all of that, 
you know, it was a bad period, um, a b- bad period. But anyhow, I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing back and, um, you know, taking up the, taking up everything and getting very active again. And that, that's fine. And, um, as I say, can't get used to having white hair, but apart from that, that's fine. Well, you don't look much different to me to how you looked 40 years ago, in all honesty. But Gemma, can we talk a little bit about the horrible, horrible time that must have been before Christmas, first of all, and secondly, during COVID? How did you manage that? Well, you, you kind of, well, you got through it. I mean, I have three fantastic children, grown and grown up children, and they were fantastic. And gangs of wonderful friends who couldn't be with me, of course, but they were with me all the time, you know, online and on the phone and sending messages. And and, and the day of the funeral, which was, um, if we had to wait until well after Christmas for, for the funeral. And, um, you know, they all they all went out and lined the road, you know, outside our house. I mean, it was, they were all wonderful. So one got through it um, and... Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know how I managed really, but I'm, I, I, I think I've got through through the the other end, um, and and now you know now with all these announcements about the easing of restrictions, I'm able to see more people. But what I what I did uh, was I, I reckoned, you know, as soon as soon as we'd had the funeral and there was this awful void, I reckoned that I have to do something. And um, and so I uh, dug out all my diaries, and um, if you saw them, Kathy, the diaries—they are about a million, a million volumes. I said to myself, "How did I write all that stuff?" And but I remember writing every evening, no matter how busy I was. It was a sort of an outlet. It wasn't a duty. It was—I felt. I could pour out what I was think, really thinking and feeling into the diaries. Um, and so that's what I have, all these massive volumes, um, uh, which are very intimidating to look at. Now, Gemma, people of my age well remember your, your um, political diaries on the cutting edge. Are, are you incorporating some of that into this latest memoir? Well, funny you should ask that because I've, just, I've got up to to 33,000 words, which is a lot of words. <laughs> and I'm still not quite there. At the, I'm still not having arrived at my ministerial time, but I'm on the edge of it. And um, I put, I, it's a difficulty to know what to do because um, the, you know, the, I've already written a book, but of course it was heavily censored. I mean, the book, uh, you know, between the legal people and my own sensibilities, the book was heavily censored. Um, now, so I, I would obviously have to incorporate those years into this memoir, um, but it won't be, it'll be more, you know, more intimate, if you like. Um, and I can say things that I couldn't say then. Well, Gemma, we can't wait because I don't need to remind you that your, your, your political diaries caused a bit of a storm at the time. I mean, I'm just going to quote one line, and this is about the state of, of the government at the time. Never, it gave us a huge insight into you as a working woman, which was a huge part of its value. But also, here's just a couple of lines from the state of the government at the time, which was pretty wild by the sound of things. So you, you wrote, appalling flack going on about the food subsidies. The hysteria from Michael D. Higgins, Joe Higgins of the Labour left, John Carroll, a trade union leader, the housewives, you name it, as well as Fianna Fáil's Michael O'Kennedy being extremely rude on radio. The media are totally gone off mad. I mean, was how did that feel at the time, Gemma? Oh, terrible. <laughs> that was 1980. That would have been 90, the early 80s. Yeah, about 83. That yes. Kind of thing. Um, the five years that I was in government were hell. Um, I mean, because the, the country was on its knees financially, and the the, the northern situation was terrible. Um, uh, we were exhausted all the time. Um, the the my, one of my biggest difficulties as as minister for education was I had to do a, refuse an increase of ten percent to teachers in there, and the and the problem was that. 
you know, where was that going to come from? Because we didn't have any money. And uh, and I made a foolish mistake. I made a, a speech where I said I really couldn't understand the morality of looking for that kind of money at a time when the country was on its knees. And, of course, I nearly got, I got terrible flack for that, uh, to, to bring morality into, <laughs> into the thing. Because in Ireland, morality is only to do with sex. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> anyway, so it was all very difficult. And, and uh, I mean, it was a, a, an amazing experience, but very difficult. Very difficult. But yet, I suppose, you know, so many things from those days have resonances now. I yes. mean, that coalition survived, weirdly. The survival, probably because of Garrett Fitzgerald and Dick Spring, who were two good people, and uh, and they they wanted us to survive, and uh, and they managed to keep it together, uh, you know. Which and it was difficult, um, but but you know the, the members of the government were, you know, by that stage, you know, Kathy, for five years there was we were all enclosed in that cabinet room. And I was the only woman in that in that room. Fifteen men and me, uh, with uh, includes the government sec- secretary. And you know, you ha- you get you get a sort of a bond. You know, we 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 bond we bonded together, which you have to. And uh, and so and a, a lot of us, while while Garrett would drive us mad a lot of the time, um, he at the same time he was a very good man. And with the best interests of the country at heart, and even though, as I say, he would drive you bananas sometimes, um, he, if you saw, if you saw the the, the carry on of Peter Sutherland, who was a great friend of mine, Peter was Attorney General, and Peter, uh, we'd have these long discussions. Gary was given to long discussions, and we'd have these long discussions, and Peter would start sending me notes about you know, Gemma. Would you ever get this closed down? Or he would be sighing and rolling his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> because these meetings went on till four in the morning. And at one point, I seem to remember, someone was sent out for sausages and chips. Yeah, four in the morning is a bit of an exaggeration. No, no, it, 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 was, it was, you know, it, it, there was one night or two, maybe it might have been two in the morning. And certainly somebody, yeah, mostly the fellas got hungry and uh, so so one of the, the drivers was sent out to get sausages and chips <laughs> and they were delicious yes i'm sure they were and a distraction and just Gemma, let's go back to that sort of throwaway line you just made that you were the only woman in the room which you were for your entire period in cabinet you took that minister for education job uh, when it had been turned down by Barry Desmond, mainly because it was a big poison chalice. So you made history as the first woman minister for education. You remained the only woman in the room. And dear Lord, some things must have made you murderous at the time, quite apart from Garrett and his, his, his discursive ways. Um, tell us about what that was like, because I think a lot of, I think succeeding generations maybe don't quite understand that situation. The situation of being... Alone. The only woman in the room at the highest level and being the first of that kind. Yes, well, um, uh, I was told afterwards that by one of, one of my colleagues, I can't remember which one, that it was remarkable the effect on them all, that the bad language stopped. <laughs> there was no bad language at all. And um, they were all perfectly nice. The only thing is on the first day, um, you, you, you know, one of the cabinet members and the senior member was Peter Barry of of tea fame, and um, at one stage every morning before you go into the cabinet meeting, there was a side room with a a, a tea making uh, thing on it, and um, it became clear to me that they expected me to make the tea, um, and uh, well, I was I, I, I certainly wasn't that interested in that, um, and. Uh, I said, well, we have we have one person here who knows about tea, and that's Peter Barry. <laughs> Couldn't he make the tea? And so, luckily, they generally laughed. And from then on, whoever was first in made the tea or whatever. But but those years, they were difficult, and uh, you know. But but I was conscious of the fact that I had considerable support from from Garrett, um, who was you know he was a feminist before his time. And uh, 
I mean, I'm sure if he were with us today, he'd be delighted at the advances that women have made, because as I am. Um, and uh, so, so there was another story. I think it, it was recounted another time at, at cabinet. We were arguing about food subsidies and whether or not we would uh, reduce them. Uh, because we had increased social welfare, so we could vaguely re- reduce the food subsidies. And, um, and there was this terrible problem because we thought this would be politically very difficult. And um, Jim Mitchell, God rest him, he was a lovely man. Jim turned and he said, well, uh, he said, Gemma, uh, he said, um, uh, can I ask you, what's the, what, how much is a, a pound of rushes? And uh, there was a sort of silence and everybody looked at me. And Garrett rapped on the table and he said, Minister Mitchell, he said, how would that woman know any more about a pound of ashes than you do? How, you know, and, and she's here as, she's here all the time that you are, so how would she know? So that, and collapse of Stout Party, um, Jim, Jim collapsed. I mean, Garrett, you know, he, he, he was a good, he was very tuned in. Wasn't that tremendous leadership of a kind that, we don't expect to hear about, really, from those days. And so important, because I know there was talk of that culture shock among several ministerial colleagues when you came on board. Um, there was also the incident of your bra strap being pulled by a certain senior person. Yes, yes. And I had a couple of incidents with them, with Mr. Mr. Hawhey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was a strange man. Um, I mean, I, I don't like to speak in the dead, but he he had a sort of a charisma about him, which, I mean, I could never understand his why women were attracted to him, because I, I didn't find him attractive. But um, anyhow, I, I had two small incidents with him. Um, one was when I was sitting in the in the visitor's gallery um, in, in Leinster House, which looks down onto the doll, um, and, and it's a circular gallery around. And I was looking down and waiting for a debate about um, rape. And um, and I had tried to get a private members' bill through uh, the Senate. Um, I was a senator at the time. And I had tried to get private, allowing marital rape, which was not a concept that was not uh, considered at the time. And I, anyhow, I was sitting there minding my own business. And the next minute, I felt a tweak, you know, on my... On my on my bra, bra strap, and uh, I, jump, I jumped up, and who was there? Only Charlie Hawhey with this smile on his face, and he said, uh, "Senator, he said, I just want to tell you that that'll be okay. Your bill will go through, and I have a very good minister, Sean Doherty, who will look after it." So, uh, so I, I mean, I was so flabbergasted. I just sat down. Um, he he was an extraordinary person because he was so clever in so many ways. Um, and uh, I was just watching that wonderful RTE programme last night, the documentary on the arms trial. That, that came just before I got involved in politics. Um, and I, I think that started my deep interest in politics. Um, and, you know, he was up to his ears in that. And, and he, was, he was an extraordinary mixture. It's an he awful was. pity he, he had. Was. I, th- I think I think people are confused by him for that yes. reason. Yeah. There, there, there is a lot of nuance there, but at the same time, those stories are quite chilling, really, given the context of the times and how little control women really had back then. Oh, and exactly. I mean, and there were stories about colleagues, friends of mine, who were, you know, had problems in the lift, was going up with some of the men and things like that. It never happened to me. And I said to my secretary at one stage, how come that never happens to me? But, you know, the problems in the lifts and things. And she said, oh, you're too much of a lady. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't do it to you. You're too much of a lady. And I didn't know whether to be insulted or, or, or otherwise. Well, he pinged your bra strap, so I don't think that quite follows. What, just, just coming forward very briefly at the moment, and, and, and something that, an episode that kind of fascinates me because... It is 2021. Is the is the so-called sofa gate incident involving Ursula von der Leyen in Turkey? Yeah, it's extraordinary. It I start off with it happened in Turkey. Now Erdogan 
has undone so much of what Ataturk did way, way back um, to try and make Turkey into a modern country and to uh, and as you know, they were trying to get into the European community for some time. So, so the first thing about that incident that struck me that it, it could only happen in somewhere like Turkey. And then also, uh, you know, the, the, the men involved lacked, particularly Charles Michel, um, they, they, they lacked all sense. I mean, he, 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 you think he'd be awake enough to notice two chairs and to say, uh, you know, ask somebody, bring another chair or, you know, and not sit down until another chair had come. So I, I, I thought it was a disgraceful thing and I'm delighted that she had, she let all barrels go when she spoke to the European Parliament. I mean, a lot of women just would hide that kind of thing, but she didn't. Yeah, Gemma, what interests me is the, is the, the, the approach, say, of Angela Merkel to that. I mean, she's, she has said that she has been, something similar has happened many times to her. But what she does is she notes it and stores it away. And she prefers not to talk about it. Obviously, she feels it would be a distraction. Whereas von der Leyen has made it uh, uh, an incident to say, look, if this can happen to me, imagine what's happening to many millions of women around the world. Which would you choose? And if you were in those particularly powerful positions, which would you choose? Well, nowadays, I would do what Ursula von der Leyen did. Um, in way, way back, it would have been very difficult. I mean, I didn't say anything about Charlie Hoy that time. I didn't say, you know, it would have been very, very difficult. Um, and, but nowadays, you know, it's great. She spoke up. That's, that's terrific. But, you know, I mean, all my life in politics, whether in Ireland or abroad, but mostly abroad, if I went abroad officially, there's a thing called the Trilateral Commission, which is a big economic think tank, international, and Garrett asked me to serve on that um, after I became leader of the Senate. Anyway, I went to this big, enormous meeting full of about a thousand men, and I couldn't see any other women, um, and it was clear that they all thought that I was an accompanying spouse, um, you know, because... the, the, the the attitude towards me was not to include me in conversations. And, you know, and then I, when I went to America, the, Ameri- the American government very kindly gave me a tour of America for about six weeks. And I went and it was fascinating and I learned a lot and I talked to them a lot. Um, but, but almost everywhere I went, I, they, uh, there was a little reception and they'd introduce, uh, we'd not introduced the, sen- the minister, the senator from Ireland, the senator Hussey, and all the heads would swivel and look, they'd be looking for the senator. For the man. <laughs> they were looking for the man. And if Derry was with me, which my husband, which he was at the beginning of the trip, they looked at him and their hands mm. stretched out uh, towards him. Yeah. You know, so that, you know, that happened a lot. Um, but this. Jim, did you find that slightly amusing or a bit wearying? What was it like? A bit wearying. Um, mm. And uh, an example of how difficult it was going to be. Um, and But a great refreshing thing was I arrived finally at the end of that trip to San Francisco and the mayor of San Francisco was Diane Feinstein. And Diane Feinstein, the friendly sons of St. Patrick were having were the St. Patrick's Day celebration. Yeah, famous, and we were all on, on, all on the balcony and... Uh, and Diane got up and she made a speech and she said, I'm sorry to tell you, Senator, she said, that the friendly sons of St. Patrick are not so friendly to the daughters. <laughs> and she said, and I'm sure that by the next time you come, which I hope will be soon, she said, uh, they'll have changed that rule. I just hope so. And, and I, it was great. You know what, Cathy? Yeah. They've only just changed that rule. Um, yes, the friendly, I know. the friendly sons of St. Patrick are, are, are called something else now. And there are women uh, admitted. Gemma, it truly, honestly astounds me how women like you went into politics, because I know you said that uh, you're, you're quoted somewhere as saying that 
when you were in your 30s, that, that there was a whole lost generation there who weren't encouraged into education or into work. Um, and that it wasn't until you were 30s and when you were a mother of three children that you developed a political sense. And boy, did you make up for it then. But when we talk now about a lack of confidence in women and the barriers of childcare and the culture, what has happened to us? I mean, you managed to overcome that huge barrier back then, which was in every facet, every pore of the culture of society, of religion, of everything, which was pure yeah, misogyny. I, know, I remember Peter Sutherland saying to me uh, the morning after there had been an inaugural mass for the school year at which I had to go in, in, in and I had to kneel on a little predio, uh, they're called, at, at the top of the church and it came to giving out the communion. And I was not a practicing Catholic and uh, I, mean, I was a lapsed. You know the famous word, a lapsed Catholic. Yes. Anyhow, so there I was, and suddenly I realized that um, the whole church was waiting for me to take communion. I mean, they didn't know where I was. And, uh, and I looked around in desperation to the private secretary, and I said to him, he was a man, and I said, I said come on up here. Come. Anyhow, uh, Peter Sullivan said to me the next day, well, he said, I, he said, the word has gone back to Rome that the Irish Minister of Education is not a practising Catholic. <laughs> Whoa. And, uh, you know, anyhow, the, you, your previous question about women and getting confidence. I had a mother who worked hard all her life with my father. They ran a chemist shop in Bray, and she worked all her life in, in that shop. She never, in, for a minute, considered she could not work. Uh, they needed money. They they had they had a family, um, but nevertheless, she worked alongside my father, uh, and you know, so I, I often had wondered why did why did I get that you know why did I go on when, uh, through life? I think it must have been my mother, because uh, my father was laid back and charming and a wonderful man, and I loved him dearly, but he he wouldn't have been. He was not a, a self-starter, but she yes. certainly was. She certainly was. So mothers were very influential. And do you think she worked partly to be the role model, Gemma? No. Or did she have to work? She worked because sort of my father was very laid back and he wasn't about to set the world on fire. But, but the one thing she really wanted was that to educate our children. Um, and to do that, you're going to have to have money. And so she, she, we, we all were educated. We all went to what were considered good schools, and then we all went to university. And I think that was her main ambition. Um, unfortunately, she didn't live to see me taking ministerial office, but she did live to see me becoming a senator. But by then, she, she, she had a touch of Alzheimer's, and I don't think she yeah. quite realized. But... Um, you know, but I do think that that's where, that's where it all started. Yeah, she was a, she was a determined woman because you and I share one thing that uh, and Mary O'Rourke share one little bit of background, and that all three of us went to Loretta Convent Bray. Yeah, I was a boarder, and I might as well have been in a building in the back end of Mongolia for all we knew about what was going on in the world. And it's always fascinated me, Gemma, that you and Mary O'Rourke talk about those years as being the making of you in some ways. Well, I, I went to Loretta Bray about a million years before you, Cathy. Um, and uh, the, I, I cycled all the way up the hill. In, in to, to, it was, I was a day girl and I cycled to school every morning. But I was taken away. My mother decided that I was a terrible flibberty gibbet, I think the word was at the time, and that I needed to be much more focused. So I was whisked off and put in a boarding school. Um, and so I never really fully integrated into Loretta and Bray, though I, I do remember one little incident. Um, there was no, of course, there was no corporal punishment. Um, but I must have been particularly maddening for some nun because she swiped at my hand with a with a ruler. And, of course, you know that if you get a bang on the back of your hand, it can be quite spectacular. It comes up in a bruise. So up it came in a bruise, and the nun nearly died 
It's a fright. And in a minute, we were all down on our knees saying a prayer that Gemma's hand would get better. <laughs> <laughs> and I was delighted. I was a bit of celebrity. <laughs> My first oh, taste the of celebrity. prayer as well, <laughs> to make something go away. Yeah. Going back to the 80s, Gemma, and, and um, you, obviously over, you obviously overcame the nuns and, 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 and that tiny battering. Though I must say, I do remember them being less than sensitive in many situations. Um, so my memories wouldn't be that great, but you survived that and you survived the culture of the times. And moving back into the 80s, you were right in the heat of politics during the Eighth Amendment, Furore, which is a very good reminder of the religious culture then and the social culture and yeah. indeed the political culture and how that came into being. Can you just tell me a little bit about those years? Well, those years in general were terrible. Um the, the government wasn't stable. I mean, the majority was very small. Um, Mr. Hawhey was going to be totally, you know, he, he would, he would do whatever he was needed to get power. Um, and so the, the plaque people, Julia Vaughan, I think her name was, mm-hmm. Dr. Julia Vaughan, um, put forward this proposal that we should put an amendment into the constitution outlawing, you know, forbidding abortion. Now, there wasn't abortion in Ireland at the time. I mean, there was no abortion. We, we just closed our eyes and the, the abortions took place in England or, or yeah. elsewhere. But um, anyhow, so Garrett was faced with this thing of whether he would bring in an amendment or not. And after he considered it and he thought about it and he called me in and I, I was against it, but uh, he, he wanted to do it. He said it's not going to change anything at all because the, th- the thing is the way it is, nothing will change. Um, and he said, and if we don't do this, we won't keep our people on board. And so we decided in the end, we didn't, we, we abstained. With, with the exception of Monica Barnes, the late Monica Barnes, who said, uh, and Alan Shatter, they didn't abstain, they voted against it. And, mm. But we abstained because even if we had all voted for it, it would have been lost anyway. Um, but that was a very difficult time. I was getting the most terrible letters, um, you know, and they're anonymous. They were uh, all over constituency of County Wicklow. There was an anonymous leaflet put through in people's doors saying there is one uh, representative in this community, in this constituency who's in favour of abortion. She says that she, I was the only woman, so it was obviously me. And this anonymous leaflet was sent round to about 10,000 homes. Um, it was, you know, it was a very, very difficult time and very, and very worrying. And then, of course, Peter Sutherland, who was nothing if not a direct person, and Peter was quite a conservative person, mm. He, he, as Attorney General, he gave an opinion eventually, and he said that it was a dangerous amendment and that uh, we shouldn't go with it. Um, and that's, that was the decider. We decided we'd abstain on it. We could not vote for it. Hmm. Um, but we got terrible, terrible stick for oh, that. Oh, and, um, people talk about social media now. I suspect some of the private correspondence he got was pretty hairy as terrible. well. Sorry, he gave letters to the Guardian, and, you know, threatening letters and all sorts yeah. of things. But, I mean, the great thing was, I mean, I, was, I mean, I could go home eventually whenever I get home, um, and I had a really supportive husband who was also involved in the back room helping Fine Gael, and really supportive, and I had three great kids. I mean, they would drive me mad half the time, as children do, but um, they, they were always supportive. And, and, you know, I mean, to be able to go home and close the door, it, it, that that was great. I don't know how I don't know how women do it who are you know, who don't have that kind of support. Now, Gemma, back then we, we'll come we, we'll come forward to the to the last few years in a moment. But just staying with the eighties for a minute, you also, as a minister, um, proposed a sex education program for schools. That was a pretty uh, <laughs> that caused a bit of controversy. It did cause some controversy. I think the, the I think. The Archbishop of Dublin at the time was McNamara, I think. Um, yeah, he didn't like it. Nobody liked it. I mean, the, the, the priest didn't like it. But it, 
I mean, as far as I recall, it was a very mild uh, suggestion. I mean, compared to nowadays, it was really mild. And uh, but 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 it had to be done. It was, it, but you know, the teachers weren't happy with it either. Nobody was happy. That that was, but that was my experience in life. Yes. Nobody. Yes. I never but it's it's it's, it's it's a it's a sign of how you were continually pushing, pushing, being pushed back. Uh, trying to move that liberal agenda on. Um, did you see this week, Gemma, where the, where this, this sex education program developed by the Bishop's Conference for Irish Catholic schools calls it a gift from God and the church's teaching in relation to marriage between a man and a woman cannot be omitted? Um, you saw that? Yes. I haven't seen that in detail yet. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's the head of anything else that we might have seen before now. I mean, that they did it at all. <laughs> I suppose that's a positive way of looking at it. <laughs> I'd, be, you, you, I'd be studying that. Uh, Jimmy, you became heavily involved in the repeal campaign uh, with that extraordinary energy of yours. Um, tell us a bit about that and how that felt. Did it feel like being thrown back to the 80s for a while or did it feel like you were? Oh, it was bliss. You, you had a good start. Bliss. It was wonderful to see it. I mean... I, I really, I mean, I wept the, the day that that was passed and so well, because, you know, all, all those women who had suffered so long, I mean, I, I just thought it was absolutely wonderful. I was delighted and, and delighted to see so many women leading the the, 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 the campaign. It, it was fantastic. Um, and so the, and the gay marriage and all of that, all, all of those advances have been terrific. And I mean, I'm still, you know, in touch with people who are, are helping to lead these things. And and then, and I, you know, I, I was one of the founders of the Women's Political Association. I was about to bring that up. Yes, back in the 70s when it was neither popular nor profitable. <laughs> At the time, and God, it was terrible, I remember it. But, but it was, but it was great fun. It was, I don't know if I, if, if I told you this story about, um, I was driving to the north of Ireland to Dundalk, I'm not quite to the north, to Dundalk. And in the car, I was driving, and in the car, I had Nell McCafferty and Nuala Fennell. And um, they, I was driving with the three, I was, three of us were going to make a speech up in Dundalk, or Drogheda, one or the other, about the necessity to get women into politics. And yeah, so I was driving the car, and Nell was in the back, and I remember, and I, I, I got lost, as, I, as is my wont. I couldn't find my way. I got lost. I said, God, what are we going to do now? I can't. I don't know where we're we going. And Nell said, oh, for God's sake, Gemma, she said, when you get going, if, if I'm caught in this car with you, I'll be kneecapped. Anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we finally, we finally arrived anyway, and she wasn't kneecapped, and I, we weren't lost completely. Um, but, but she, she got up and made a fantastic speech, um, about the development of women throughout the ages, and she decided what she'd use as a model would be the history of the bra. And uh, so the bra, with gestures, accompanying gestures, the bra used to stick out, and then it was flattened, and then it was sideways. (laughs) Anyhow, I think it was that occasion that two or three nuns got up and walked out of the meeting. (laughs) But the, so those days were amazing days, and the, and the, the women who worked with us, and the, the women of the WPA, and all those organisations, they were fantastic, and many of them still are. To say. I suppose, Gemma, that leads us to forty years on. I mean, your ambition back then was, I think, to have forty percent of uh, the numbers to be women. Are you a bit weary now looking at how that's, how that's, that it's taken 40 years and we're still nowhere near this? No, I'm not quite sure what the percentage is now. It's very low. It's very small. You it is that? very low. I think it's, it's, uh, let me see, one in every five TDs and 25% of elected councillors are women. Yeah, yeah. So 20% of TDs are women and uh, 25% of elected councillors are women. Only four of 15 ministers at the cabinet table are women. Well, let me see. Four out of 15 is a great improvement on one out of 15. Yes, And an even better improvement on none out of 15. But it is very slow. I agree with you. It's very slow. 
Um, but, you know, every day that passes, I mean, for example, they're, they're, they're talking about a, a by-election that's about to happen up in, in, in Dublin Bay South. And among the, the most prominent names being mentioned are women. Yes. Um, which yes. is absolutely great. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, now it's, the whole thing is slow, but I'd, and I'd love it to get quicker. And I, and I support the organizations, women elect, women for election and all those. Um, I support the organization. Yeah. 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 I think they're all great. But can you see what the barriers are at this stage, Gemma? I mean, as we were talking earlier there, in childcare, culture, conf- confidence, I think finance comes into it. There's something else. But do you think, is, is there something that we're not talking about here? I think it's the pull of the, the difficulty of politics and family. I think that's very difficult because the meeting, all the, to, to, to get involved, to get, to start off to go to all the branch meetings, which in my time, the, the party branch meetings were usually held in rooms over pubs, um, you know, very masculine sort of situation. And then the, the, to go, if you get elected to a local council, <clears throat> then those meetings are held at times when you should, you, you normally would be home with your family. And to, to and, and you know, you have to have the cooperation of a partner to allow that to happen. Um, I, I, you know, it, it was, it, that was always very, I always felt that my, that Derry, my husband, you know, he was terrific. Because in those days, it was unknown for a man to be supporting a, a woman like that, particularly as a mad woman that was in politics. <laughs> but, um, so it does require men to be, educated to understand that their role is important is as important as a woman's role in the family and in family caring and we're a long way from that um and and so i mean that the, last week we had the citizens uh, advice committee whatever it's called assembly yeah uh, suggesting that we took out of the constitution the, the expression that women's place is in the home um, well, I mean, that should have been gone decades ago, uh, but that'd be very good. And that they would put emphasis on the, the joint responsibility of, of, of the community for caring for children. I think that'd be excellent. Do you think women are being offered winnable seats, Gemma? Are they getting a fair crack at that level? Well, I, I think that'll improve. The, uh, the, certainly in the, in the by-election that's coming up, I think the, none of the, the women's names I've heard mentioned, um, you know, are, are exactly wilting violets. No. Uh, and, and what's more, none of them are related to a male politician, which is even better. Um, because in, in my day, before I got into politics, all the women were either widows or daughters of either dead or whatever TDs. So, I mean, it has improved, Cathy. Don't be downhearted. It's improving. Yes. yes. Um, is, 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 the, is the liberal agenda done? Is, is, are there any more barriers from that point of view? I can't think immediately. Mm. My big barrier at the moment is the, the frightening size of the pile of diaries I'm looking at with shelves. Well, frankly, I can't wait, Gemma, when you, when, you, when you say, I mean, I presume some of the stuff redacted from your original diaries is going to appear um, well, and it's going to be amazing. Are, the original diaries are a tiny fraction. Uh, and I said to my, and I look at them and I, I say to myself, how did I do that? How did I write all those diaries? But then, as I said to you earlier, they were a release. They were, you know, I, they were. I, I was I would sit down and I'd write like mad and I'd feel better afterwards. <laughs> and has this been even since your political days? You've been keeping a diary every single day. Yes. And well, I tell you the truth, I stopped keeping the diary when Derry died. I haven't had the I'm an animus to do it since. Um, so that would that's this they stopped. But I won't. I mean, the 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 memoir won't go up that far. You know, I mean, after I left politics. Um, I got involved in starting a foundation to teach women in Eastern Europe, in, in former communist countries. Now, that was interesting. I, I, I worked in 12 
former Europe, former communist countries and put that to be in the, the thing. And then I, I did a whole load of voluntary work. And you know, interesting enough, I don't, I don't know whether it was because I was a woman or not, but I was asked, invited onto several boards and hospitals and good causes and all of which I was delighted to do. Never invited onto any board which involved business or a fee or anything like that. Really? Interesting. Um, whereas, you know, it's it, it, not that I, I wanted it or needed it, but I observed it. Goodness. Gemma, we're coming to the end now, and I'm, I'm just wondering, you're 80 now. I'm a bit more than 80. I'll be 83 this year. You're 83? Well, let me tell you, you're, you're still, your energy still shines out. Tell me, Gemma, you said in your interview with Simon Carswell that, you know, you were wondering about the pandemic and how we are at making the best of things nowadays. And you asked, have we become a little soft? Meaning, I suppose, you know, have we become less, less, less able to face huge challenges like this? From the point of view of soft, um, I feel I'd rather use the word um, we've become careful. I mean, I find myself, uh, you know, because we've been locked down and haven't haven't been able to go places, the the idea of actually, uh, you know, getting into my car and um, driving uh, somewhere that I don't know. I mean, I'm a bit more hesitant than I was. Um, I'm, I, I, I mean, I, for your benefit, I put on a, a, a blouse and jumper today. <laughs> Normally, I've been just slugging around the house in my trousers and an old sweater, like everybody else. Um, but then I said to myself, now it's time to smarten yourself up, girl, and you know, get out, get out on the road. And um, and I'm very, look, I'm very fortunate, Kathy. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm lucky that I, I have so many good friends and. And a good family, and uh, and lots of interests. And I think I would say to anybody, keep up your interests. You know, don't let things lapse. Keep going, and and because that's what will keep you going. And so I sound like I sound like my own grandmother. And reading, reading has been great. I I just read a book last week about Grayson Perry. He's an artist and a transvestite, and it was fascinating. I mean, new horizons, open these things, read about new things and stimulate yourself. That's what I think. And one last question, Gemma, because I have to ask you uh, in terms of how this pandemic has been handled. I'm sure you've been keeping a very close eye on on, uh, how the various politicians have dealt with this. Now, I know you have great sympathy for them and you say that you encountered nothing more serious in your day. Now, I would sort of quibble with that a little bit because, my goodness, back then we had, you know, enormous emigration and awful bitterness and Gay Byrne calling the country, I think he called it a shambles and worse. So a lot of terrible things were going on then. How do the two compare now in your eyes? Well, if I could look at it, through the, the eyes of a possible, you know, central cabinet minister, I would say that they, uh, we had nothing as bad as this. I, I, I mean, you, cause you're, because Cathy, in this one, you're talking about life and death. And, and that has been, I think, probably the most terrible burden on people. And for all of them, but Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar, a whole lot of them, I have felt nothing but sympathy. I mean, it drives me mad that I still can't entertain some of my friends and, you know, give them a bowl of soup at home. That drives me mad. But I think that they have had the most appalling thing. took them a while, I think, to get their, their, their ducks in a row. It took a while, but I think they've succeeded now. And I, I think they're being super careful that's understandable. Um, so, so I, yeah, I, I do have sympathy for them. I think they've been faced with a, a situation the likes of which we never could have imagined. Gemma, would you have done anything different? Since when? Since in my life. No, no, no. no. Well, 
that's another question. But no, about the pandemic. <laughs> Are there times when you thought, oh, Lord, um, that was a terrible mistake or? Well, I mean, we all know that it was, uh, unfortunately, not a good idea to open the country up last Christmas, 12 months. You know, or was it this Christmas? I've lost control. It was this Christmas, yeah. It feels to like open the country months. up. And I, but I could understand why they did it. And, uh, but it turned out that there was a sort of a, a relapse uh, after that. That was difficult. But I mean, you know, in, in the great scheme of things, I could understand why that happened. Mm-hmm. So I, so I, I wouldn't really have done things differently. And Gemma, a last question. This really is my last question. I know I keep saying that. But in terms, I remember, uh, around this time last year, I wrote a column about, about people, um, cocooning. Um, and I have several close relations who would have been cocooning, who would have cocooned long before they were told to cocoon. Uh, so it wasn't just that the government ordered them in. But I realized at a certain point, they thought it was the law that they had to stay inside their own four walls. Do you get a sense of ageism at any point during all of this? I haven't really. And I suppose that because of my, what I've mentioned to you before, because of my, my thatch of white hair, um, I finally half expected to meet some ageism. Um, but I haven't. And, and, uh, you know, people are, I find people are very thoughtful and very nice. I mean, you know, you put on the mask and, and you have the white hair on top of the mask. It's, a, it's not my, it's not what I consider a good look. <laughs> but you, know, you have to do your best. But I find that people are being very nice and, and I get messages from shops that I used to go into and, and chemists and things that, and I get messages, you know, if, if, if somebody gets, goes, gets me my medicine or whatever, and they can take them and they, they're asking for you. They're asking, how are you? And they're asking, why can't they, why don't you come out and see them? So basically, um, I say, no, I haven't, I haven't experienced ageism and, and, uh, I hope there isn't much of it about. Okay. Uh, when are we going to see this memoir? Oh I God! It might never, it might never see the light of day. Because, uh, as I say, I'm I'm only at 1981, and um, <laughs> and I've t- done 33,000 words. So, it if I ever do finish it, it'll be too big for publication. <laughs> no, just write faster because I think it's going to be fascinating. Gemma Hussey, thank you so much for coming on to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. It genuinely is a pleasure to have talked to you. Thank you very much, Kathy. That's all we have time for. That was Gemma Hussey and Cathy Sheridan there and thanks very much to them. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get in touch with us on social media at IT Women's Podcast or email us with suggestions of issues you think we should be covering on the Women's Podcast at irishtimes.com. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you next time. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.